Welcome to episode 115 of the Swamp Flex Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm Brittany Lombas. And we are recording separately in our COVID bunkers once again in two separate locations in New Orleans, Louisiana. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swampflix. Yes, indeed. Man, we were just talking before this about like how we miss picking up movies from the library and like how scary mask etiquette has been, mm-hmm. like, scarily laxed yeah. it has been out in the real world. And I want to say like, oh, let's just lose ourselves in some movies for a little while. But we also watched a bunch of really depressing movies today, I think. <laughs> I don't know if that's helping at all. I mean, obviously, like whenever we talked about this topic, I was like, it's going to be depressing, but it might be fun. But it was more depressing than like fun. But I still enjoyed yeah. it. Like I got in my feelings, but that ain't always a bad thing. Yeah, maybe it's like a safe way to cry it out. We watched a lot of melodramas today, so it gives you the space to be emotional. Yeah. And in a way that doesn't threaten your health. <laughs> I kind of, I feel <laughs> like I was more emotional for these just because of like the state that we're in, <laughs> you know? We're very vulnerable right now. <laughs> we are. Help us. I think <laughs> if I would have watched this not during a pandemic, I would have like, I've, it would still been sad, but I wouldn't have thought about it for like as much as I have. Like, I go to bed thinking about some stuff that happens in these movies. Well, have you been watching any other happier, lighter fare in between these uh, melodramas we watched for today? I mean, not really, but kind of. So something I watched recently, and I think like for the last like at least five episodes that we've done, I've been like, so I watched this like Lifetime movie from like the 90s. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't stopped. Um, So... I watched this made-for-TV movie, which totally aired on the Lifetime Network. (laughs) It's from 2002, and it's called The Interrogation of Michael Crow. And it stars Miss Allie Sheedy. So while she's not playing in, you know, 80s teen flicks, she is definitely hitting up some made-for-TV movies on different channels, for sure. But this movie is based on a true story, which I love this kind of stuff. And basically, there is this 14-year-old kid, and his name is Michael Crow, and he's accused of murdering his sister. So what happens is the family's sleeping. You know, there's mom, dad, Michael, and his two sisters, one older, one younger. And they wake up in the morning, and they find the older sister dead, like she's been murdered. And they call the cops, and immediately the family gets separated So they take the parents away from the kids and they're like, oh, this is just protocol. And the entire time, like all this is happening, the parents are like telling their kids, like the cops are here to help us just do what they tell you to do. Everything's going to be okay. Well, what happens (laughs) because these kids and parents are so trusting of these cops is that they do that. They like, they think the cops are there to help them and they have their best intentions. And what ends up happening is, they accuse Michael of killing his sister because he likes video games and they found drawings of swords in his room. (laughs) And I know it's insane. And they are like, okay, you killed your sister. And they interrogate this kid for two days straight. And basically they make him take a lie detector test and it was fake. And they showed him like, Oh, you lied. And they showed him these fake graphs and they, 
gave him false evidence. They were like, we found blood and a knife in your room. And they were trying to make him feel like he was going insane. And they're like, did you black out maybe and do this? And he's like, well, you found a knife in my room. He's like, I didn't do it. And but he's like, but you're telling me that I did. And they basically tell him like, you have two paths. You can either tell the truth and admit that you killed your sister and will help you. Or you can say that you didn't kill her and you'll go to jail for the rest of your life. And his parents have no idea that the cops are doing this. So they grill him for like two days. And he eventually says he makes up a story just to get out of it. Because they tell him like, if you say you did it, it's going to be better. So he makes up the story. And then he gets charged with murder. And then they're going to try him as an adult. And then the parents like find out like what happened. And they're like blown away. They're like, what the fuck? So over a year goes by where this kid's like in a juvenile detention center and they go through all these hearings and things like that. And in the end, like the evidence gets thrown away because the cops basically forced him to give that confession and it was false. And he was found like not guilty. But at the end of the movie, what I thought was really interesting and doesn't really happen in a lot of movies like this is the whole thing kind of comes to a point at the end where the parents are having a conversation and they're like, we can never trust a police again. Whoa. You know, they're like, how scary is that? That like, you know, if something ever happens in our home, we're not, we can't call them because we don't trust them. And it kind of ends on that note. And in the real world, what happened was there was a guy that broke into the house and he was kind of mentally unstable. And I think he got the sister confused with his girlfriend and he killed her. So that's what happened. Um, it wasn't the little boy at all. But yeah, so it was interesting because a lot of Lifetime movies, it's like, I would say it's kind of half and half. Like some Lifetime movies, they're very like, oh, thank God the cops are here and everything's okay. But a lot of them are like, no, like you can't trust them. Um, and this was one of them. So I kind of thought that was interesting, especially being what's going on now. Yeah. Like usually it would be like a few bad apples is like the argument. Like, oh, this is a couple corrupt cops and like some other cop within the system would shut them down. It was the whole department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was just, it was interesting. And yeah. And I, and I kind of like started to think and I'm like, I remember there being a lot of lifetime movies where like, there were women who were raped by their like or abused by their husband who was a cop and they couldn't come forward because the whole department backed him. And I'm like, I kind of want to like kind of rewatch those. And a lot of them are based on true stories too. Well, that's another interesting point too, is that most lifetime movies, I mean, kind of for obvious reasons, the protagonist is a woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually like an abused woman. That's why they're kind of hard for me to watch a bunch of them in a row. Cause they're really grim. <laughs> like even the ones oh, that yeah. are like over the top and kind of fun. They're, they're very fucked up. Oh, totally. But for this one to be based around a male archetype mm-hmm. is an interesting variation. Yeah. And yeah, it almost seems like the kind of thing that would be made, you know, two years from now as kind of like a reaction to this like larger acceptance that all cops are bastards, you know, I know. You would think that like that would be the reactionary version of, of the Lifetime movie. And it's like kind of I just want to be like, y'all, they've been bastards. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's been a thing. Lifetime, if Lifetime has taught me anything, <laughs> that's it. That and how to like really um, pick up on. I mean, I don't have like a husband or anything, but if I ever did, I would know what warning signs are thanks to Lifetime. What have I learned? I've learned that if you're going to poison your family members with arsenic, don't 
push your luck. Like you can get away with like one or two, but if it becomes a pattern, they will catch you. Yeah. That's what I've learned. Overkill. Don't do overkill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I watched that movie and it was, it was interesting. Cause like, like I said, like I've just been, I have a whole list on Tubi TV and I just like play them all day. I don't know. It just, it gives me some kind of comfort. Cause it gives me that edge of like the edge of it being a thriller but it's also short and it's kind of easy to watch as in like, it's not like a deep story. So I could like work and have that in the background and I don't really lose my place. So that's why I've been into that. Do they have one of those like channels on Tubi that just plays lifetime movies straight? You know what? They might. I didn't really look. I just made my own list. Oh, wow. What are you <laughs> pulling from? Um, Just stuff I remember. And then it kept... <laughs> I was like, all right, let me look for every fucking Delta Burke movie out there because she's in a lot of them. And then it just kept recommending more to me. And I'm like, yes, add, add, add. Cue it up. Cue it up. And like, I've got 20. That's great. (laughs) So um, other than that, I did watch a more recent film. It's um, the movie Arkansas that came out this year. Never heard of that. Oh, my gosh. You would like it. So it's directed and also stars Clark Duke. Do you know who he is? Was he on The Office? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He, he was in like a latter season of The Office, but um, when I was in college, I was a huge fan of this web series called Clark and Michael, and it was Clark Duke and Michael Sarah, and they were like these two buddies and roommates, and it was just this really short web series that like starred them, and I thought it was like the funniest thing ever, and I just always found him to be like a really funny guy. Like, he kind of has, like, that Tim Heidecker kind of quality to him where you can look at him and he could just make a facial expression and it's very humorous. So I do, I like him. And when I saw that he was directing a movie that he was also starring in, I was super interested. So he is from Arkansas. And this movie is based on a novel. But basically, in this film, there is a character played by Liam Hemsworth. His name's Kyle. And Clark Duke is Swin. His name is Swin in this in this movie. So Kyle and Swin both work for this like huge southern drug dealing ring run by this mysterious guy named Frog. And they're really low in the ranks when it comes to like this whole operation. And they work undercover as junior rangers at a national park in Arkansas. And the individual they work under, his name is Ranger Bright, and he's played by John Malkovich. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) So, and Ranger Bright is a little higher up in the ranks when it comes to working under Frog. So, basically, like, you're kind of, like, trying to figure out, like, all right, who is Frog, like, throughout this entire time? And you find out who he is, and it's very interesting. I don't want to, like, give too much away because it is a new movie, and I think a lot of people are going to be watching it. But it's just a a very interesting story. Like, it's broken up into chapters throughout the movie. And it's like, you know, Kyle and Swin get into, like, a lot of bizarre situations together. And it's just all... Everything is very exciting. Like, this movie is not at, like, an 11 the entire time. But it doesn't... It kind of stays at a nice balance level throughout. Where you're not, like, losing interest. Nothing super intense and crazy happens it's gonna blow your mind it's just kind of like a nice crime movie that has like some black comedy elements in it like it was cool it was mysterious there was like 
parts of the film that you you have to kind of put the pieces together and figure it out yourself and it's it's fun would you compare it to i don't feel at home in this world anymore i'm trying to think of like a comparison point like a crime dark comedy i would say kind of like that but not as comical okay it's good though so um that's pretty much like the two cool things i've been watching lately or at least sum up what i've been into lately um but what have you been watching brandon I saw two of the weirder, or at least better executed genre movies of the year so far. I watched one called Baccarau. Mm. B-A-C-U-R-A-U. Just in case I'm not pronouncing that correctly. But it's a Brazilian film. And I feel like it got a lot of critical acclaim last year. uh, When critics saw it at like festivals and stuff. And then Mm -hmm. it's kind of been like quietly just sitting on VOD this year in America. And I finally just pulled the trigger on renting it, you know. You and I were also talking before we started recording today just about how expensive subscribing to all these different platforms is. So it's, like, mm-hmm. kind of hard to push yourself to actually rent something VOD. Right. But uh, I got kind of tired of waiting for this one to pop up on something I subscribed to. It's really good. It's, like, a familiar story. It's kind of a riff on the most dangerous game that, like, hunting humans for sport Oh, motif. wow. I didn't expect it to get that intense. <laughs> but you don't really know that until part of the way through the movie. So I, I don't know if that's really a spoiler, hmm. but it's hard to spoil anything just because it's so oddly constructed. It's got this kind of like psychedelic quality where it's really hard to get your footing to know what's even really happening, partially because there's no real protagonist to the film. Uh, Baccarat is a town. And every member of the small town gets their own, like, kind of spotlight where, like, you keep thinking, like, oh, this is the main character. But then the point of view switches again. And basically just everyone has your sympathy, like, from the doctor to the prostitutes to the musician to just the person who sits on their porch all day keeping track of everybody's movements. Like, everybody gets control of the audience's perception for a minute. And it becomes this big communal movie where they all kind of band together to fight against people from the outside. And it's like set slightly in the future. So there's like some weird drone technology and like some things that are like slightly ahead of now. So it's kind of a sci-fi riff on the story. And then it ends in a very typical way for the genre. Like it's hard for you to, to get your footing until like three quarters of the way in, you're like, oh, this is like a bloody revenge story. And there's like a lot of like bloodshed where the community rises in unison. And it's just like a, I don't know, a really strange approach to a very familiar story. Hmm. Uh, and I really appreciated that. It's also got Udo Kier as the villain, uh, which is great. It's always, a, it's always a plus. Wow. That sounds really cool. What um, platform is it? Streaming? I rented it. So it was like four bucks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's not super crazy. Yeah. It's not great though. I know, I know. <laughs> it's expensive to live like this. Especially since I really want you to watch Deerskin still, and that's like four dollars to rent right now too. Oh, you described it to me and I think I'm I'll pay four dollars for that. I get paid Friday, so that'll be like my treat. Well, if you don't want to uh, spend money on a rental and you already subscribe to Shudder, I would even more recommend the movie Host. That got dropped on Shutter in the past couple weeks. Brandon, I watched this two nights ago. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Very, very, very much. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so in case you don't know, Host is about an hour long. It's actually the length of a free call on the version of Zoom that you don't pay for. 
<laughs> because it is set as a Zoom call. Um, it's very much an unfriended kind of uh, setup, like a found footage online first person point of view experience. And it's like a group of girls who are friends, like college age women, and they join a call as like a seance. They're going to summon ghosts with like a spiritual medium. And a couple of them don't take it seriously enough. And the medium gets cut out of the meeting and their sarcastic jokes uh, about the seance pisses off um, a few ghosts who then terrorize them for the rest of the call. I love this movie because I love this genre. (laughs) I think it's great for a bunch of reasons. Like one, we are all online all the time, or at least if you're listening to a podcast, it's very likely that you are online more than you should be. Uh, (laughs) So I would think that cinema should reflect like how we spend our lives, which is like virtually in these like point and click kind of like fake digital spaces. So like, I like that these trashy horror movies are preserving that. And then also they're kind of like documentary in a way too, because they are willing to feature like Facebook or candy crush, or in this case, zoom calls, like things that are very like momentary and will be lost to time. If they're not like Mm -hmm. documented properly, these movies are like actually like collecting user interface data and like showing what like life online is like (laughs) which in this case is especially cool because it's set you know during the covid pandemic and was written filmed edited and released during the pandemic so like there's like scenes where like a character will put on a mask before they run outside to like get away from the ghosts or they'll do like elbow bumps when they kind of see each other or like there's like a couple who's like really getting under each other's skin because they've been quarantining for too long together Mm mm-hmm very like COVID specific relationship dynamics. And on top of that, it's just really impressive. Like what they did, like there's a lot of stunts and some of it's CGI, some of it's practical, but like a lot of like weird scares that plays with like the lag time of talking over these like video calls or the eeriness of those like fake filter masks, those like Snapchat (laughs) filters and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I was just really impressed with it all around. Um, even though I'm usually a sucker for this genre in general, I think this is like one of the better examples of it. Absolutely. I like how, I mean, we just experienced like a lag time situation. And in the movie when that happened, you know, someone's head was bashed in. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was so relatable. And I love how they did it with like, you know, your 45 minutes are almost up. Do you want to upgrade? <laughs> I thought that was so brilliant. Yeah. And I love how the demon that is unleashed in this movie, it's like, it's in zoom, right? Like, I mean, it's going through zoom. So like it'll leave someone's home and like, it, it almost seems like it's going into the zoom universe and finding another slot to enter. Oh, God, I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, immediately I was like, this, uh, Brandon has obviously seen this. <laughs> at some point, yeah, like, no doubt. But it's it's so good like that, like that it messes with technology. And like, it's not happening to everyone at the same time. You know what I mean? Like when it stops in one person's little Zoom square, some stupid shit starts happening in somebody else's. And I love when the uh, lady running the seance, like they hire this like medium to to conduct this ceremony she talks about how you know because this is a digital space we're actually less protected from the ghosts (laughs) makes it even scarier (laughs) i love it she also reminded me a lot of the lady who lives in the woods from uh amy sedaris's show 
She was similar <laughs> like hippie vibe. And there was a point where she gets like her like takeout delivered to her, which is also <laughs> very like COVID-esque. It was really good. And I mean, for a Shudder original movie that's like so short, it was so entertaining. Like I found it to be like on the level of unfriended and those types, like you were saying. And I will say what a lot of people don't like about unfriended is that the characters are all miserable little shits. And this one's like different because they're all like pretty likable characters. Like even the ones that are like kind of participating in these like edgelord kind of like sarcastic jokes at the expense of the seance, like the ones who invite the ghosts, they are still really just likable people. You could see being in your friend group, I think. Whereas unfriended, they're all like teenage dirtbags, and it's kind of like a cruel movie at their expense. Like, uh, and I think that turned a lot of people off for Unfriended. And I, I saw a lot of people praising Searching as being like the salve to that. Uh, but I feel like this movie is way better than Searching and a, way more impressive. I like Searching, but Searching is like if your parents want to get into this genre, you know? Like, yeah. this is like, this is for the cool kids. This is for us. <laughs> but I love how, you know, this is being explored and I hope to see more of it. Like, when you think of all the technology that's used, like, it's the possibilities are endless for the types of horror movies you could think of. TikTok has to be next. That's like the next frontier. <laughs> like, you can't stop TikToking and when you do, you die. <laughs> Or like the dancing that uh, becomes like a meme on TikTok, like takes over your body and it becomes like the red shoes where you just like dance till your legs fall off. Yeah. Like those like TikTok dances that become like fads. Yeah. Like what if you have to whip a nene until you die? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I did see one before called Sick House that was posted entirely on Snapchat. It's like a series of posts Oh. uh, before it was then recollected as like a feature film. So it's possible. That's cool. Okay. Yay. I'm sure we have a lot of cool stuff coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's enough trashy genre talk for me for the day. Uh, We're going to get serious and talk about a bunch of melodramas, specifically lesbian melodramas that are all set at boarding schools. (laughs) I mean, when I think of boarding school, I think of lesbians. Like even before (laughs) watching these movies where it's like all girls boarding school, I'm like this, you know, you think of like lesbianism. So... I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah. And I feel like that would be a trope that, you know, usually is kind of played like for titillation, but we're watching movies from between the thirties and the sixties. Yeah. And it takes that romance very seriously, not necessarily for like kind of male gaze, like eroticism. I don't think. Yeah. Not for the turds. These are for the good people. Yeah. (laughs) Like us. No turds allows for the rest Mm -mm. of this episode. Hell no. And all that's coming up to you right now. I can't believe how you lead your life. Like it's one big secret, like like there's something to be ashamed of. And yet, your daughter wrote a paper called My Two Mommies, and you swore up and down that you were not a lesbian. And here you are, on ladies' night, hanging out. Are you a lesbian, Olivia? That's what I thought. And now it's time for our movie of the minute. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. And Brittany chose the topic of today's episode. So what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about lesbian boarding school movies, particularly from like the 30s to I guess like the early 60s. The movie that I chose for us to watch collectively first is the movie Olivia from 1951. 
I recently watched it like a couple of maybe like a month ago, probably June. I watched it. I feel like a lot of people watched it around that time. And I mean, not to derail you too much, but like one of the specific things about like watching movies during COVID for me has just been like figuring out why people are talking about a specific thing. Yeah. Like I'll see like 20 people talk about Olivia on Twitter all of a sudden a movie I've, I honestly had never heard of until this year. Mm-hmm. And then like I have to deduce like, oh, it's because it's on the Criterion channel and just got added. Right. And I think they added kind of it. Thing. It was Pride Month. So it was June where they were putting up a bunch of films like LGBT films uh, for Pride Month. It was probably around that time. So, yeah, exactly. It was on the Criterion channel. And I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. And it's French. Let me watch this thing. And I ended up just falling in love with it. It was just such a beautiful story and it was such a beautiful film, but it's, it's directed by a female, which is also something I love. And we love at Swan Flicks. It's directed by Jacqueline Audrey and it's heavily influenced by another film that we're going to be talking about a little later that came out prior to Olivia, which came out in 1951. But Olivia is this English girl and she arrives to this really like, wonderful all girls French school in the French countryside. Like this school is like gorgeous. It's beautiful. Like they basically eat like Queens every night and their bedrooms are just amazing. Like the school is just so it's just a, I would love to go there (laughs) anytime. Sign me up. And the students are really welcoming of her, which I like in a lot of these types of movies, there's a lot of like jealousy among like the younger students and oh, like, Oh, the new girls here, like let's make her life hell. But it's not like that. It's like, you know, all the girls at the school have this great friendship that is, I just find to be very beautiful. So the girls are very welcoming of her and she finds out real soon that there's two teams at this school. There are students who are, kind of devoted to Miss Julie or Madame Julie and they're the jewelist and there's another group and they're devoted to Madame Cara and they're the Caris. So Cara and Julie are these two like head honchos of this all girls boarding school. So at first Madame Cara takes an immediate liking to Olivia and invites her up to her room, which I guess is like the cool thing. Like, oh, you get to go to Madame Cara's room. And she kind of, you know, starts, you know, showing her pictures of the school throughout the years, kind of, you know, telling little stories, just kind of like a little a nighttime visit. And they pamper her, right? Because she's oh. like <laughs> experiencing migraines all the time. So the kids have to like dote on her and give her a blanket and like fan her and stuff. <laughs> yes, like her blankets on the floor. And she's like, oh, would you mind just throwing that over my feet? It's so cold. And they're like, yes, like <laughs> it's insane. I mean, Madame Cara is like the biggest diva in a film that I've seen in a very long time. She reminds me a lot of Mariah Carey. (laughs) (laughs) So Olivia, though, then has a class with Madame Julie teaching. And Madame Julie starts reciting this um, excerpt from a play that they're being taught in the class. And there's this like really erotic moment (laughs) between Olivia and Madame Julie. And at that point, like... Olivia's like, I am in love with Madame Julie, and she becomes devoted to her. So then it's kind of like, well, yeah, you're on Team Julie now. And kind of, you know, Madame Julie does take a liking to Olivia as well. And she invites Olivia to go to this day trip on Paris with her, and they kind of connect a little more. 
And then there's this big Christmas party where the girls all dress up and like drag pretty much as couples from different cultures. And they perform these dances. And at the Christmas party, Madame Julie kind of gets hot and heavy with another student where she kisses her on the neck and Olivia sees and she's like distraught. She's like, her world is ending. So Madame Julie was supposed to go visit Olivia in her room as like, as a commitment she made to Olivia because she knew Olivia was upset. She's like, Oh, well I'll visit you in your room and bring you something special. And she like never shows up. So Olivia's upset, goes to Madame Julie's room upset and just cries herself to sleep in front of the fireplace. And then Madame Kara walks in and finds Olivia in her room sleeping in front of the fireplace. And she gets upset because Madame Kara is insanely jealous of anyone that has Madame Julie's attention. Obviously, they're in love, right? Or at least Kara's in love to her specifically. And Julie is like loves her deeply as well, but is not like as singularly devoted to her. Like Kara's entire life is like in love with her. Right. And Julie has like a life outside of that relationship. Messing around with all these other girls. <laughs> and then Kara's like illness, which is very vague, kind of seems like it's just heartbreak. Like mm-hmm. that she's like sad that the one person that she like spends every moment thinking about doesn't love her the same way. I mean, and of course there's like the ending, which I mean, do should we spoil the endings in these movies? I think we have to. We have to. They're all the same for all three movies, unfortunately. Oh, they're all sad. So brace yourself. But what happens is Kara gets so upset and Julie decides that she's leaving the school. And I think it's like a decision where that she makes because she realizes that she is getting too inappropriately close with the students and she needs to leave. And she leaves the school in Miss Kara's hands. And I think Kara, that was just like the icing on the cake for her, where she just was so heartbroken and upset. And she kills herself by like overdosing on some sort of like drug she takes for headaches. At that point, when I saw how sad Miss Julie was, where she says like, I've never loved somebody again like her. I think I kind of thought like, well, maybe she realized how much she really did love Kara when Kara died. And she kind of maybe took that for granted while she was alive because she was too busy kind of giving these younger girls attention like because she wanted something new and fresh, you know? I think that's one reading. Yeah. Another is that she is holding back because it would bring trouble. Like if she was like out in the open and those two had like a genuine romance, then they wouldn't have this school at all. They would be like in ruin. (laughs) Which we learn in another movie. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know. I kind of thought about that, but it sort of seems like, and I don't know. I don't know what France was like in this time period. I think I would need more like education on that maybe to see how appropriate that would be or how, if that would be a huge deal. I mean, I'm sure it would. It's a question I don't know the answer to either. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like she's allowed to have these more innocent flirtations I mean, she is accused of going into the girls' rooms in the middle of the night, so we don't know what exactly they're up to, but... They just don't tell their parents. Obviously, they're cool with it. (laughs) That seems more innocent than what she's doing with Kara, which was like more of like a genuine romance um, and not like a fleeting flirtation, you know? Right. Um, And I think her line at the end, too, like, other people want to, you know, say goodbye to Kara's body, Mm -hmm. and Julie's like, 
let me spend one more night with her before this is over because I didn't get enough of those. Right. And it's really sad. Yeah, it's very tragic. Um, but yeah, Brandon, so I've, at this point, I've watched this movie three times and oh, I find it to be just so, so good. It's such a, it's filmed very well. There's interesting characters throughout. It's just a good movie. So what are your thoughts on it? Well, okay. Let me preface this by saying that every movie we watched today was very good. Are we going to, oh yeah, we have to definitely talk about the inappropriate. Oh, well, no. I mean, yeah, there's like an age gap uh, to the like Like student teacher. Yeah. Yeah. But what I was going to say is that this is the least interesting of the three to me. Oh, okay. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's actually kind of amazing how not scandalous it is like okay yes the age gap between the teacher entertaining these like flirtatious romances with her students especially that kiss on the neck is really scandalous oh totally and might be you know triggering for a lot of people which i get but beyond that this is a movie that is filmed like any other grand sweeping big budget melodrama in france at the time yes i get i totally get where you're coming from now (laughs) i felt that same way too where i'm like nothing felt dirty about it right you know like the way it was filmed it was like oh it's just another like you know sad love story that's it and i've watched a few movies from that time recently i'm thinking more ones that were filmed around World War II, but like mm-hmm. Children of Paradise is the biggest one. That was their like attempt to make their Gone with the Wind type like grand epic melodrama. And there were a few during the war that Cece and I talked about from Claude Atala One's called Dolce. In particular, this reminded me of uh, Sylvie and the Ghost was another. Okay. So this is like a stately costume drama that's like really lavishly shot and the production design's really beautiful, like you were saying. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And the fact that it isn't really over the top or shocking almost makes it more of an anomaly because it is like very clearly a lesbian romance story, mm-hmm. but that isn't treated like a big deal in any way. It's kind of hard to like put this into words, but like the fact that the movie isn't more interesting is interesting. Does that sound insulting? I don't mean it to. No, no, I know what you mean too. Because the other ones kind of felt more scandalous, where there was scandal that happened in the movie. But this one, it just felt like it was no different from any other kind of, you know, just love story. The other ones are pushing buttons and like crossing a line. Like no one's very saying, consciously. Oh, those are unnatural thoughts. Don't think, like, no one's saying that at all. Like, it's almost like they're embracing it. And the girls, like, as they talk about their crushes, they're kind of like, it kind of seems like the just the norm. And maybe this is like a dispatch from like an alternate universe where like, <laughs> uh, you know, these kinds of movies could have different sexual dynamics besides mm-hmm. heterosexual. Like the only thing that distinguishes this from another stately melodrama of the era is the homosexuality, the lesbianism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these melodramas have to end in tragedy. Usually like, you know, someone will get, run over by like a carriage or uh, (laughs) die in a fire or something really fucked up like that. Mm -hmm. But the consistent ending in each of these movies is that like, because of that lesbian, that like like, sapphic attraction, then they have to kill themselves because there's no way for them to go on. Right. Right. In a normal, like functioning member of society. 
And yeah, that's fucked up because we have these like kind of perfect enclaves in each of these movies where like they're in these self-contained little worlds and these like all women spaces and these boarding schools. And then as soon as the, the flirtatious romance becomes a real thing, like I am a lesbian now, that's when like the character has to die. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think it's the movies like losing sympathy for them in any way. It's like, Oh, they have to die because that's wrong. It's like, well, the world's just not ready for that right. to be out in the open. So you have to go. Yeah. Thinking about this though, not to throw us off topic, but did you think that the Fraulein and Madame Kara had something going on, especially since like the Fraulein was like obsessed with her and Miss Kara left everything to her and her will? Possibly. Yeah. And I think one of the things about Olivia too is that this does feel very out in the open. Mm-hmm. You get what they're talking about. But they don't really state it very directly until that kiss on the neck. Like, it's kind of delayed until towards the end where it becomes very, like, the romance isn't, like, spoken about until the last act. And then it escalates. Between both of them. Like, I've, you know that Olivia's into it when she, like, makes out hardcore with her hand. But right. then she, like, pulls it away and she's like, ha, ha, don't be too passionate, kid. But then, like, yeah, like, I think that kiss on the neck scene is kind of around the time where you really feel it. And you see that Madame Julie has those feelings too, not just Olivia. Let me ask you this. Yeah. As someone who's seen it a few times, do you think that Julie had a particular attraction to Olivia or is she just another one of the girls to her? Because she is accused of, of visiting each of them in their rooms. Yeah. Like, I think that Olivia was like another one of the girls, but she was higher up on the list. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and I think it it was that she was the newest, you know, it's new and exciting. It's someone different. That's like a breath of fresh air. But I think like if we would have stuck in this movie and it would have been like a year down the road or something, I think Olivia would have been just like the others. Yeah. And I think Kara is like the living proof of that, right? Like mm-hmm. she's like, we've had this like flame romance that like i never got over but julie moved on and like found her next flirtation right after right and the way uh julie puts it is that she can't have a full-on romance with somebody she has to like keep it to those like that flirtation period because she's not allowed to live her full truth you know Mm -hmm. it's not socially accepted yeah i love madam julie i would have had a crush on her too (laughs) out of all the movies like This one is the one that I'd want to live in. You know, if you had to pick any situation to live in, I would have loved to live in Olivia's, like, the whole film. And I would have been, like, best friends with that teacher that would just eat the shit out of everything. The one that's always like, I'll eat the rest of that. Oh, I can't go to bed with an empty stomach. I'm like, yes, girl. (laughs) I get you. And I I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like, like, he's like, this one was very, like, major Hollywood. It felt very light. Um, as opposed to like the heavier ones that we're going to talk about moving forward. Um, but yeah, I, I like Olivia. I was, I'm glad that I decided to watch it. I think um, it changed a lot of the way I look at movies and it, it blossomed this interest in lesbian boarding school films. <laughs> yeah. I would most recommend it to people who look at something like portrait of a lady on fire or yeah. God, I'm trying to think of another one off the top of my head. There aren't that many, like mm. anybody who wants like a, big budget sweeping romance between two women that you don't really have that many options. No. And this one is from, you know, half a century ago and treats it like it's no big deal. 
even though maybe it should because that age gap is very alarming. You have like a, I know, an adult in power and a student. That's the conflict I had with this. And another film that we will talk about too is like, you know, the story is so beautiful, but then you have like the whole, you know, pedophilia aspect of it that gets kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, if you thought people were like upset about um, Call Me By Your Name, this one's even more drastic. For oh sure. yeah, totally. I mean, Call Me By Your Name was fine. I think like he was in his early. I 20s. thought so too. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> God, I love that movie. I didn't say she jumps up his right. I said that Mrs. Mortar said that Miss Dolby was jealous of Cousin Joe. I don't understand. Neither do I. But Mrs. Mortar said that it was unnatural for a woman to feel that way. Well, I'm just telling you what she said. Mrs. Mortar said that Miss Stoby was like that, even when she was a little girl, and that it was unnatural. Stop using that silly word. So I think one of the reasons that I was not as blown away by Olivia as I could have been is because I had just watched Madchen in Uniform right before it. Okay. It's from 1931, and there's no reason to really go over the plot because it is very similar to the one in Olivia. <laughs> it's yeah, it is Olivia. <laughs> uh, this kind of tomboyish character who's like been raised by her father is sent to this German finishing school for girls. She's like a teenager and it's not as lovely as the school in Olivia. It's a little more like a little prison. Uh, even their little girl school uniforms are like prison striped pajamas almost yeah it's very like military the way that the yeah. schools run uh, and it is a german film and a german girl school so you know that sort of like cliche about like discipline militarism is like very much a part of it what struck me about this though is that as soon as the girl arrives there the other girls are like you are going to fall in love with this older teacher <laughs> and you're going to have a romantic crush on her and want to run away with her because all the girls do and that's just what's going to happen <laughs> and then it immediately does she like falls in love with her literature teacher who goes to the girls rooms at night and gives them each a good night kiss on the forehead except this new girl gets a kiss on the mouth <laughs> don't you find like while we're talking about the kisses on the forehead like the girl like it looks like she's benny hen and she's like blessing them and they like pass the fuck out. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's, so it's like funny. an ecstatic thing. <laughs> and the girls have other crushes amongst themselves. It goes beyond uh, that teacher student like flirtation. It's like they're passing notes to each other um, and have their own little like romances on the side. Mm -hmm. And it's all kind of covered up by this one lip teacher that they all love, except that on their like kind of Christmas celebration where they perform a Shakespearean play, which oh is very God. similar to the <gasps> thing in Olivia. That's just clicking for me. <laughs> also, I think Olivia is a character in Twelfth Night, right? Like the cross-dressing play, which we already talked about on a different episode. Yes. So on that night, she has a little rum after their like cross-dressing performance and pronounces her love for the teacher out loud mm -hmm. to the school. And that gets her in trouble. It's like, well, now you have to leave. It was all good until you said it. Um, and then, you know, she threatens to kill herself and then doesn't. 
I ran through that very quickly because the plot is very similar to Olivia. Yeah. What's different, I think, is that in Olivia, it's very delayed and demure in some ways. Like, you get that there's a romance kind of humming in the background, and you see it in flashes. But in Matching in Uniform, it's so immediate. They just talk about their crushes on the teacher. You're right. (laughs) It's like immediately, hey, we got this hot teacher, and you're going to be into her. (laughs) And, like, the kisses on the mouth come, like, in the first act and not the third one, you know? Like, it's, like, very immediate. You're right. And it came out in the 30s. And, like, it was censored by, like, I think eight minutes were cut out. Eight to ten minutes in the surviving version that we have. Mm -hmm. And even the version that survives now is still, like, just way more daring and open about that sapphic attraction than any of the other movies we're talking about today. And it's just like really incredible. This movie is so phenomenal when you like to think that this was 1931, like while you're watching it is mind blowing because if a film like this were to come out in 2020, it would be scandalous, you know? Right. But yeah, around this time, I want to say in Germany, there was a short period where, Not that queerness was acceptable in any way, shape, or form, but it was a little more prominent, especially with, like, lesbians. Like, there were, um, you know, lesbian clubs that were kind of sprouting out that would actually show this movie and things like that. It was very short-lived, obviously, because what was to come after that. But I think it's the timepiece that this movie is, is so insane. Like, it's just so... Like, I'm so grateful that it was made because what's to come after this is, like, one of the most horrific things that ever happened in our history. And it's just crazy. Like, you're watching this movie and, you you know, to find out that, like, you know, a lot of the people involved in acting and making this film were Jewish and a lot of them are dead now. You know, they died during the Holocaust and, you know, some were captured and escaped. Ilsa, who's my favorite character in this movie, she escaped. So she didn't die during the Holocaust. But isn't it's just crazy, like, sitting there and watching it and knowing that that's going to happen. And it's another movie that was directed by a woman. Yeah. Um, Leontine Sagan. Yeah. All-woman cast, woman director, based on a play written by a woman. I mean, Jesus Christ. And that's another thing about Olivia, too, is, like... There's that part towards the end where like investigators come in. So there's like men in the house. Yeah. And Gross. it does feel like an invasion. <laughs> Get them out of this damn house. <laughs> yeah. We said no turds. Yeah. Uh, no turds allowed. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like they should have, like when you have like your own club when you're a kid, you're like, no girls or no boys. They're like <laughs> kick those boys out of that house. Yeah. And Madchen does commit, I think more like it's like this little all women enclave. Yeah. Interesting, too, that it was a favorite of Eleanor Roosevelt's and she like helped to get distributed in the United States. What the fuck? (laughs) I know. Eleanor, she's one of the reasons that it got to be even seen in the U.S., which is awesome. But yeah, like I I just love how this film did kind of feel modern, too. Like the way the girls were acting. I'm like, that's the way like I acted when I was that age. Like they have that shrine (laughs) of that, like that guy who's like an, I don't even know the name, but there's like this actor and they like, you know, in my locker in high school, I had a shrine of Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. 
<laughs> and like the girls, like the minute that like Manuela comes to the school, they're like, hey, look at this. And they open up a locker and they tear down this thing covering it. And it's a shrine of this dude's face. It's like hot actor. And they're like, he has that, uh, what you call it? Sex appeal. <laughs> And it's like, (laughs) damn, girls, like, they're on it. And they're very, they're just so, like, free and open, like, with their their sexuality, or at least the way they talk, you know, with each other. And it's kind of, it's just nice. It kind of feels like, I mean, minus, like, TikTok and cell phones, like, this could be, like, a modern group of girls at, like, any high school today. And I think that's the thing that really stood out to me about it is, like, it's not like Olivia was from a um, time where people didn't think or act this way. Like Mm -hmm. this is just honest human behavior. Mm -hmm. It's just Olivia is presented as more of a stately buttoned up melodrama version. And then matching in uniform is more just like honest about how these things really are. Mm -hmm. It's not really covered up in any kind of romanticized way. It's just like, Oh, this is how this would play out. And these are how teen girls are. Maybe the honesty stops when it stops short of being a tragedy and the girl decides not to kill herself because uh, it was not a forgiving world at the time. But. Do you know that in the play that this film was based off of, like she was supposed to kill herself? That makes so much more sense in the yeah. context of the story. So they, she was supposed to kill herself. And I want to say that in the film, they cut the scene out. Like they actually had the whole scene where she jumps, um, mm. but they decided to cut that out. But the ending to me was still just as sad, (laughs) even if she would have jumped, you know? Yeah, for sure. Do you get what I'm saying, though? Like, I feel like there's just, like, no artifice to this, really. Like, Mm -hmm. it just feels very real and, like, recognizable human behavior. You know that um, a lot of the actors were just schoolgirls, too. Like, they were literally schoolgirls. And I think that that might have something to do with the way it felt so authentic. That, like, cinema verite kind of style. Yeah, they were just being who they really are. I love that. Me, too. I love that, too. Like, I I love this movie so much. So much. Like, is it... Did Criterion pick this up and Blu-ray it or something? Like, is someone going to do that? (laughs) As far as I saw, the only place it is available right now is on YouTube. I didn't see any official distribution for it in any way. It's such a good movie. And for, like, going into this, I was thinking it was going to be, like, I don't know. I don't look into the 1930s and say, oh, my favorite movies from the 30s. You know what I mean? Like, I thought it was going to be kind of not boring, but kind of just like, eh. But I was so, like, surprised at how, like, how much I loved it. The story's fabulous. The acting is fabulous. The way that it's filmed is great. Like, there, there's that part where the girls are basically, basically the girls are being malnourished, which is fucking horrible. And they're kind of, ta- they're fantasizing about the food they want to eat. And it's flashing back and forth. Like, it's the girls talking about all this delicious shit that they're fantasizing about eating. And then the screen jumps to the headmistress, the Prussian headmistress, who's basically saying like starvation is going to make us stronger <laughs> or whatever. Jesus. You know what I mean? Like that whole part with the, the going back and forth, it seemed so modern, you know, like, I, I mean, there's not a lot of films I saw from the thirties, just a handful and I I did not see any that would do something like that. And just like the angles, like the whole staircase being this focus and it was just filmed so well. And I wasn't expecting it to be as beautiful and engaging as it was. 
Yeah, honestly, this is my favorite movie we watched today. Nice. And it was hard for anything else to stack up to it just because there is like a familiarity between all these films where they're Mm -hmm. all kind of touching on the same topics. Whether or not they're going to be direct about it, I feel like is the variation. And this one is so direct and so honest and so bare Mm -hmm. that like, I don't know, it was just like really striking to be like beautiful too because like whenever they realize that manuela is missing the girls kind of are like we don't give a shit about if we get caught or who comes to fuss us we're gonna find our friend and we're gonna make sure she's okay and i thought that was really sweet like they kind of just you know kind of went against the code that they were supposed to abide by and they found her and they kind of you know saved her from killing herself and just didn't give a shit about what was happening. Like, no one said, like, what if so-and-so hears us? Like, no one even thought to say anything like that. And I love that. The authoritarianism that this movie seems to be speaking against is, like, uh, like if you look at all the reviews, f- at least until, like, the 50s and 60s, like, that's the main focus. Like, everyone looked at this as a film that is, like, anti-authoritarian. Yeah, because, like, the kids are, like, trying to sneak out letters to their parents, letting them know that they're being starved to death. <laughs> yeah. Hey, our clothes are, like, old as fuck and have holes in them, <laughs> and we're not eating, by the way. You know? Um, which it is. Like, I don't doubt that the movie is, but it's a queer film, and, like, no one ever, like, for years, like, for fucking years, no one ever, ever mentioned that this was a queer film when they reviewed it or even talked about that aspect of it. Well, I think that's a great transition to the next film because the idea that you can't even talk about this stuff out in the open, even though the movie is talking about it is very much what the story of the movie we watched from 1961. So yeah. So the last movie that we watched, which is from 1961. So I guess it's the most recent um, it's the film The Children's Hour, and it stars Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn. I find Shirley MacLaine to be, like, so gorgeous in this film. I, th- I know, like, Audrey Hepburn is seen as this, like, sex symbol, but I don't know. Like, Shirley MacLaine, I thought she was just stunning in this movie. It might have been the gold hoops that she had. I love hoop earrings. <laughs> but basically, Shirley MacLaine and Audrey Hepburn are two really close friends. They've been friends since they were teenagers. And they get together, they graduate, and they f- build this boarding school. So they build this business from the ground up together. And Audrey Hepburn's character, Karen, she has a boyfriend. And things are getting a little serious. Like, you know, he wants to marry her. And she brings up, like, you know, I want to have a child with you by the end of the year. Something like that. And, you know, Shirley MacLaine is kind of like the third wheel in their relationship. Karen's boyfriend really sees um, Martha, Shirley MacLaine's character, as, like, a a good friend. And obviously there's something else going on that you can feel where you're like, Martha's very upset. She kind of lashes out on Karen saying, you know, we built this school together and now you're going to throw it all away so you can go have this relationship with someone else. And all the while, there's this little shit who is listening in on them. She's this little girl at their boarding school and she's horrible. She lies, she starts shit, and they call her out on her bullshit and punish her. Well... She wants to kind of get back at them to be like, I want to leave this school. Y'all aren't going to punish me anymore. So she 
is under the care of her grandmother and her grandmother comes to pick her up for a visit while she's at this little boarding school. And she tells her grandma, like, you know, I'm not going to go back. And she kind of does that thing where someone says something and they want you to ask, well, what do you mean? Like the little girl keeps pulling her grandma into asking questions. Super manipulative. Oh God, I hate this kid. And essentially at the end of all this, a little girl tells her grandmother that both Martha and Karen are, are having relations that the girls at school heard noises coming from their bedroom and saw them kissing and that they are lovers. So then the grandmother is totally appalled by this. And she calls the parents of like all the kids at the damn school to tell them like, Hey, you know, Martha and Karen are lesbians. And then all the parents pull their kids out of the school, but they don't tell them why they just come to the school and they're like, all right, get your shit we're leaving and martha and karen are like what is happening what's going on and then they eventually find out that there's a rumor that they're both lovers so they go through this horrible period where they lose the school that they built and they work so hard on which is so fucking sad and they go through these defamation lawsuits that they're you know trying to to win and they're losing and they become this like national spectacle. So like everyone knows them at this point in the country. Men drop by the house to like gawk at them to like kind of like catch an eye to like sexualize them. Yeah. Like the fucking grocery douche that brings his bag of shit. We said no turds allowed. (laughs) Yeah. He was a turd in the house and they need him to go. Uh, this episode should be called no turns allowed <laughs> lesbian <laughs> lesbian school movies um so yeah so all this is happening and it's just because this little girl made up this rumor and there's a, a another child who's like that's not right that's not true and the little the little shit basically finds out that this other little girl is stealing jewelry from everybody and she's like if you don't play along with my lie, I'm going to tell everyone you've been stealing shit. And you know what? You're going to go to jail for the rest of your life because you're going to be a criminal. So this little manipulative child just gets worse and worse. And she makes this lie so huge. And then finally you get to the end of the film where it comes out in the open that this was a lie. And the grandmother who basically ruined the image of these two, you know, hardworking women and their school that they work so hard to put together realizes that her grandchild lied and she ruined these two women's lives. She's also much wealthier than the two of them too. Uh, so it's like very easy to ruin them. And that's the thing is she keeps saying, I'll pay you whatever you want. And then Karen, Audrey Hepburn's character is like, we don't want your fucking money. Like your money can't fix this. Like you don't realize that. Like, yeah, like the grandma is very like, I'll just pay you off to make me feel better, my conscience sit a little better for what I did. But kind of when that all happens at the end, Martha kind of says, you know, actually, there's some truth to this. But she tells Karen and she kind of professes her feelings to her. And then the ending is so heartbreaking. Basically, like Martha just looks at herself as like, I've done this to you. It's my fault. Like, you know, I, she loved Karen so much that she just, like, felt like she ruined Karen's life. And to kind of deal with it, she took her own life. And, and she, like, hung herself in this very, very insane way where you, like, see the shadow of her, like, legs kind of dangling. 
that kind of is the end of the film. It, it was so, this film was so sad. So just so, the context of when I watched this movie. So I started watching it with my mom on Friday oh, <laughs> and I fell asleep because we started watching it late and she stayed up the whole time. And then the next, I woke up in the morning and she was like, Brittany, you have to finish watching that movie. It's so good. <laughs> and then I watched it and then she would come in every couple of minutes and be like, don't worry, Brittany, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is horrible. She's like, just wait, it gets worse. <laughs> and it does. Well, that's like the major difference between this and the other two films is like in Madchen and in Olivia, you have these like periods of bliss where like everything's kind of innocent and like allowed, like it's like permitted until mm-hmm. it becomes real. But the children's hour is just relentlessly miserable from start to end like it really does just get worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. and it's also based on two real people who had their lives ruined I think oh they were god an irish i don't want to call them a couple but like two women in ireland oh. who were like slandered and like had their like school ruined over a, a rumor That's so sad and like yeah the suicide at the end of each of these movies is part of the same thing it's like society will not permit them to be who they are out in the open. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, that is the vibe the entire time. Like you don't get the bliss before the suicide. What I find so interesting about this movie is that it is out of all three of them. It's the one that basically has people who are like saying, Oh, this is unnatural. Like this is unacceptable relationships. Like it's very damning of being queer and being a lesbian. And it's the most recent And it made me think of this, like, whenever I was in college, I took this great, like, women and gender studies class. And I remember, like, sitting there one night, and I'm like, you know, it's so strange how, like, you know, back in the 80s and 70s, my aunts and my mother would wear tube tops and Daisy Dukes. And, like, that was fine. And for some reason, like, women who do that now are, you know, called sluts. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, you would think that in current times, like, why is that seen as slutty when it wasn't years ago? I thought it was so bizarre. And her answer was, well, look at the rise of evangelical Christianity and like the impacts that that has. And I I kind of took that thinking when I was thinking about why is the most recent film that we watched the most like homophobic one, you know? Well, it came out like, I think at the tail end of the Hayes code, like when the Hayes code was being lifted all these things that were not permitted to be talked about openly, you could kind of like start to dance around it again. Yeah. But the reason I wanted to transition into this, like out of matching was like, they were so committed to not openly talking about this, that Shirley MacLaine said that during rehearsals, her and Hepburn never even discussed that subtext. Now it's like, I mean, it's not even really subtext, but never discussed that dynamic to their relationship and their characters, which is what they were acting as. That's crazy. Right. It was so taboo that they couldn't even talk about it while they were playing the characters where if you look at something like Madchen, like 30 years earlier, they announced that shit in the first scene out loud in the dialogue. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to read into there where as in here, the accusation, the rumor is whispered. Like she doesn't even say what she thinks the teachers are up to she whispers it to the grandmother character yeah and you're supposed to just infer like oh she said unnatural so she must mean lesbians 
Yeah, the same thing happens, too, whenever the father of one of the students tells Karen what happened. Like, that part is muted. I gotta say, though, it might be the most timid as far as, like, openly discussing what's going on here. But for some reason, it really does work exceptionally well. And it ended up being one of my favorite movies out of this bunch. Might just be because... Audrey Hepburn and Shirley MacLaine are both really good actors and it's just mm-hmm. like great to see them like chew the scenery. But I think really it's just because the villain is such a little shit that you want to kill. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's I love how the villain is a child. You know what I mean? Like most of the time, like especially in older movies, like, you know, all kids are innocent. I mean, except for like the bad seed or something, but this little girl was pure Satan. <laughs> I, I hated this kid. And I'm like, I, I hope somebody slaps her across the face when they find out she's lying. <laughs> That's all I wanted. And I never got it. Yeah, the bad scene and atonement were like two reference points I was thinking of with her. But she is somehow worse than either of those examples. <laughs> yeah, because like what she's doing is like, I mean, the bad scene, she was just killing someone because she wanted yeah, a medal. No a medal. Yeah, <laughs> this little girl is like, I am going to ruin their lives and everything they work for because i don't want to do homework (laughs) because i don't want to do homework and they call me out for stealing flowers from the garbage (laughs) you know and her Uh. something about her face too not that i want to judge children's faces but like she just had the meanest kid face like she looks like a bully (laughs) oh she was playing a perfect little shit like it is a great child performance like she she is asked to be insufferable and evil and she does it to perfection nailed it (laughs) I think two other things that work in this movie's favor too. The presence of men here is different than in the other films because, Mm -hmm. you know, Audrey Hepburn is supposed to be getting married to this guy and her running this girl school with her college friend is not in itself seen as like a worthwhile thing. It's like belittled, like, oh, this is good practice for when you have children of your own. Mm-hmm. And like, she's supposed to be training for motherhood and not like respected for the work she's already doing. And he is just always around and like ruining their dynamic. And, you know, we already talked about the other gross men that like pop in and like stare <laughs> open jawed at them. The other turds. Right. And I, I really do feel like that's like more weaponized here than even, even in Olivia. And also... The fact that this is a romance between two adult women and you don't have that like intergenerational like ickiness like the kids here are little little kids they're not like teenagers they're not of any kind of a sexual age at all and pretty soon into the plot they're all sent away anyway and it's just these two women in their empty school they're like failed business you know having to hash out their unrequited romance Um, without actually being able to talk about it directly because that would be taboo so it kind of removes that like kind of like ickiness factor too i think between like the adult and the children having like romantic feelings so i don't know it's like the most timid movie of the bunch like it doesn't want to talk about what's actually happening in any kind of open way but it packs the biggest like punch to the gut it was like the most viscerally upsetting to me like i felt so miserable by the end of it It's just very sad. Like, I, like, thought about it so much where it's just horrible, where it shows that, like, I mean, I guess something I focused on, too, in the movie is how, like, a lie can ruin somebody. You know what I mean? Like, how that lie just blew up nationally. 
it, it's just mind blowing. I mean, stuff like that happens yeah. all the time. Don't trust kids. They, they're idiots. Don't listen to them. <laughs> yeah, and I think like what you were saying earlier about like matching in uniform being about authoritarianism. Uh, I think there's an argument to be made that this movie's more about the power of a rumor than it is about the actual like romance at its center. But you know, it's hard to say that after watching Shirley MacLaine's like giant speech at the end, where she like oh. basically just bears her entire heart. Oh, I cried. Lays it out on the floor. Oh, I know. It's a tough watch. It's tough. It's tough. But it's it's so good. Real quick with this movie though, before we leave it. What do you think about the aunt? Oh, I mean, she's a fucking spineless coward. <laughs> she would I I don't know why, but I mean, she was horrible, but I found her character to be so funny because she was so like overdramatic in this like drag queen diva way. For sure. <laughs> she was entertaining. She's in her own little world and like doesn't want to have to like stick her neck out for anybody yeah. else. Which... Like she's broke as shit and she's like, I'm leaving to go to Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah in this situation that makes her very frustrating and like just mm-hmm. as like wicked as anyone else but oh yeah, totally a, on a day-to-day like entertainment value uh way I- i'm sure i would find her delightful she was just as bad as that little girl because like she didn't show up for any of the court hearings because the aunt was the one that made this comment saying that their relationship was unnatural which right. was something brought up when they were dealing with their court issues. So she was summoned, but she never went and they ended up losing. And a big part of that is because she never went to explain, you know, why she said that, which was because she was just pissed off and being an asshole. Yeah. She's a fucking coward. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> which I'm saying as a uh, lifelong coward who never sticks. You know out what? For she's anything. a turd too. And you know what? No turds allowed. She can get out of the house too. She can leave <laughs> her and all the men. <laughs> I gotta go. Um, you can finish this by yourself. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Speaking of men, mm-hmm. if you don't mind a little turd corner at the end of this episode. I love a good turd corner. Do you think, this is like a, a double-edged statement, I think, mm-hmm. but do you think that, do you think that they would have allowed a boys school version of these movies? No. Right? It feels like and it's not really like saying anything against the like lesbian romance here because there's not a lot of those movies anyway, but it feels like they're not taken as seriously and as much of like an abomination as man. Yeah, the men on men uh, romance, which been. I think goes to you know our our patriarchal society too. You know, like it's okay. You know, if a woman's with a woman, that's fine. But if a man's with a man, that's like just this unnatural, insane thing. Which I don't, I always talk about that because, like, being from the bayou, like, a lot of times, like, these men from this, like, the small town background, they're like, I don't mind a woman and a woman, but I don't know how a guy could be with a guy. That just, is, that just seems like an unnatural sin. Yeah, it's like anything that's it's strange. Like not PIV is not actually sex. Mm-hmm. It's yep. like, it's not, it's not treated as a real thing. But I, I did like that detail in the children's hour, too, like, where the men were coming by to gawk. Like, mm-hmm. Even though it is such an unnatural, hideous thing that they're doing, but people will still come by to spectate. Yeah, that's what they do. It's a joke to them where it's like, 
you know, these people's lives are ruined and you're coming to have a good time about it just because you're an asshole. I know, Ugh. you know, I never thought about that, about, you know, what this would look like if it were like a man and his students. Does anything exist like that from like that time period? That's a good question because like I didn't know any of these three movies existed until within the last year. Yeah, I just so maybe I found I out when I watched Oli- when I watched Olivia in June. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, that'd be something interesting to look into. I think, but yeah, like I can't see it going as well with society <laughs> than these. That seems more taboo. But yeah, I mean, that's like my only like general question is like, is that is that allowed? That's a good one. But yeah, like otherwise, I think these are all just like really solidly great movies. Like, yeah. you know, I was kind of like soft pedaling on Olivia just because I feel like Madchen and the Children's Hour are more like striking. Mm-hmm. But like the fact that Olivia is so normalized and like such a sweeping melodrama, like big budget swooning on your feet romance, like that's not something you see often. Could you imagine what Olivia would look like if it was in color? Ugh, I would wish that. Every one of like my genie wishes. Yes, just oh, I just love the scenery of that movie. Like I'm big on like I love like films that take place in like the French countryside because that's like a dream. You know what I mean? It's, it's so dreamlike. I do know that they remade Imagine um, in Uniform in color in the late fifties. And I have to imagine, just after watching the Children's Hour, that is not as straightforward in its romance. You know, I saw that too. Is it? Isn't it a Spanish film? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I was reading something where it was like remade as like a Spanish movie in the fifties. Like, holy shit, that sounds cool. <laughs> there's so many. Who knew? There's more um, lesbian private school films. Well, what do you think of this genre after watching all three of these movies? What is your like main takeaway from it? I mean, I'm a fan. I found it to be very tragic and sad, but it's a good, just because something's sad doesn't mean it's not necessary to watch. Like, I, I still think that, you know, watching this kind of really brought it home for me where, I don't know, like, I guess like sometimes I get caught up in the current times and I'm like, yeah, you know, things are kind of cool and more acceptable now. And then like, these movies kind of made me pull it back and really feel like a good, like, you know, lesbian relationship connection, which we don't get enough of in modern times for sure. But I just felt like seeing that in in a time where it wasn't acceptable just meant so much more to me, you know, where I'm like, wow, like it just made this film more groundbreaking and it just seemed like so risky for these movies to be made. And I was more thankful for them. It's a miracle they were made. It's a miracle they survived. And we can see them. We have access to watch all these movies right now at the tips of our fingers. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm also wondering how many other films of this tone or topic are like mm-hmm. out there that I just had never heard of because they're not like part of the main canon of like great films, you know? Exactly. Like I'm surprised where I'm like, all three of these movies are phenomenal. And they're so yeah. much better than these other movies that are being like put on the spotlight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why isn't the Criterion picking up these fuckers and putting them out in this like beautiful restored format for us to like gaze over? Like they need to. I, all of them, I think, are very important culturally. Fucking mocked in the uniform. That blew my mind. Blew my mind. And I think the DVD is out of print for that one. Oh, so, my like, God. There's no current physical or even streaming way to watch that legally right now. You have to watch it on YouTube and like a VHS yeah. riff. Uh, we're going to have to like keep up with it to see what happens. 
I don't know. Can I write to somebody? I don't know how that works. <laughs> I was thinking about this and I'm like, you know, back in the third, if I was alive in the thirties and I got wind of Mockton and uniform coming to town, I would have like taken my little horse carriage and traveled days to see this shit. <laughs> and that would have been worth it. I think we would have been very happy in 1930s Berlin, but maybe not so happy in 1940s Berlin. Yes. That's my, that's my guess. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I know. And well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because Mockton and Uniform made me think of that. How, like, this, you know, there was a short lived, like, liberating time in Berlin before, like, World War II when Mockton and Uniform. I watched Cabaret Uniform. for the first time last year. I get it. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, um, I kind of want to see the remake of Mockton and Uniform, but I'm, I'm just this, I love that movie. And I'm, like, just, I can't even talk, like, say in words how, like, mind-blowing it was to watch this movie from the 1930s and, like, not even late 1930s, right? Fucking 1931, pre-World War, pre-Hitler in power film made about, like, a very open lesbian relationship. It's insane. Well... This was a very like highfalutin topic, I think. I think we like really like tried to be sophisticated for once. We do it every now and then just to break up the trash. But we're all garbage in the end. Don't worry. I mean, next week, uh, Boomer and I are talking about Housebound, which is a which is like a ghost movie kind of set in a <laughs> old dark house from like 2015. So yes. we'll, we'll be back on our horror bullshit next week. Nice. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Isn't it, like, kind of humorous? Yes, it is a horror comedy. Okay. It's ghost-themed. It's from New Zealand, so it has kind of that, like, what we do in the shadows style, like, absurdism to it. What I will say is that we can't really talk about it next week without spoiling it. Okay. I'll watch it then. If you're interested in listening to us talk about it, you have to watch the movie first, I think. Okay, I'll watch it so I could listen to it and not get spoiled. Spoiled. <laughs> spoiled? Spoiled? <laughs> Whatever I like the word spoiled. Is. That's perfect. I don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, check out swampflix.com if you want to get spoiled on all kinds of uh, movies <laughs> from mm-hmm. the, the high art, uh, like matching in uniform yeah. to you the know what? low trash like host. Y'all, it's the pandemic. Go ahead and spoiler yourself. <laughs> get spoiled. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.